Once Upon a Time, way back when there were only 9,000 Arsenal podcasts, five young men from various backgrounds, an Irish kid with a horrible haircut, a young Jewish nerd who hadn't discovered food yet, a child from Hemel Hempstead who didn't want to be English no more, a handsome advertising magnate with impeccable judgment, and a young Mexican AC Milan fan hatched a plan to take over the world of Arsenal podcasts. But then these boys became men. Jared. Mikey. Ewan. Magic. And Andy. And the rest, my friends, is history. And now, all these years later, you tune in every so often to hear their incredible takes their football knowledge, and their sensual advice. But now, it's gone too far. You, our fans, are at long last witness to season... Seven! 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 Welcome to the Gooners Pod. And welcome to the first Gooners podcast and Gooners versus Cancer combined live show in the home of Arsenal Football Club, London, England. I am your host for the evening. My name is Mike. I co-host a small boutique podcast, which is what we call podcasts that no one watches, uh, called the Gooners podcast, normally from my home in the Washington, D.C. area. But tonight we are here live from the Ridley Road Social Club in the Dalston area of East London for a great event with great friends, old and new. And we're going to be having some fun and enlightening conversation with a panel of people I've put together that obviously drew some of you to come, whereas if it were just me and those other guys in that intro video, uh, we'd be talking to ourselves. So most of all, we are raising funds for Gooners versus Cancer, which supports the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, which is a very important uh, and, and important cause to myself and many of those around me and obviously all of you as well. So let's get started by welcoming our great panel. Uh, we have some of Arsenal's greatest content creators and journalists. So uh, we're also going to be singing a happy birthday to one of our panelists who is currently live on Talk Sport. So she'll be here in a second um, and, uh, and get ready for that. So first, he is a podcaster who has exploded onto the broadcasting scene in recent years. He's built off the success of his YouTube channel, Chronicles of a Gooner and can now be found chiming in on the 90 Minutes Football Show, Sky Sports, co-hosting on TalkSport, doing commentary on BBC Radio London. In the industry, we like to call this guy prolific AF. <laughs> Let's all give a hand to Harry Simringow of Chronicles of the Dune. Thank you, everyone. Um, Mike, that was a really nice intro, thank you. Um, but thank you to everyone for coming to support this amazing thing that Mike has set up because it's an incredible cause. As you mentioned, it's important to you. I don't think there's a single person in the room that probably hasn't experienced either themselves or someone close to them suffering from cancer. So um, I want to say well done to Mike for all of this because well, thanks, it's brilliant. Appreciate it. Next up, he's a chartered accountant by trade, but we all know him from his 11 years on Arsenal Twitter, his more than 73,000 tweets. <laughs> mostly, 73,000? Yeah, I, I like you didn't even realize that. Wow. That's, that's, Twitter shows him as averaging over 40 tweets a day. 
I first heard him as a recurring guest on a Burkamp Wonderland. Uh, now he can be seen and heard on his fast-rising podcast called The Latte Firm. Let's give a great welcome to the artist formerly and presently known as FK. Thanks, Faisal. Wow. Wow. I did not realize that. 73,000 tweets. That's a lot of time. And those are the ones you didn't delete. No. no. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've made my fair share of uh, hashes in the past. It's nice to be here. Thanks so much for the warm welcome. And it's a great cause, Mike. Thank you so much for having us and for doing this amazing event. Thanks, Faisal. I appreciate it. Our next guest has been a friend and regular guest on the Gooners Pod since he was the only journalist on the summer tour in 2019 in Denver who didn't treat my co-host Andy and I like we had won like a Make-A-Wish Foundation type of thing. Um, the journalist, his journalistic experience includes the Evening Standard, Football.London, and now he's entering his third season as the soccer correspondent for CBS Sports. Uh, I mean, who even calls it that? My God. Uh, Let's give a huge welcome to the man, the myth, the legend, James Bench. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me. I mean, I have to say, I was only just being polite. I, I did think you were here from the Make-A-Wish Foundation, but, uh, you know. Um, yeah. Which is a great, a, a great charity in and of itself. Is that not what we're here for today? Yeah. I'll talk to you after. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Next up is the youngest member of the panel, which I mention only because he would think it would be odd if I hadn't mentioned that in public. Um, he's the world's number one most up-and-coming football journalist, <laughs> according to 10 live streams per day magazine. Uh, he took over the Gooner Talk TV YouTube channel six years ago at the ripe old age of 17. Maybe he was 22. Uh, grew the channel exponentially in size and popularity to where he was finally able to live his lifelong dream of trading in his previous profession of helping to educate school children for something far better and more valuable to the world, which is talking about writing about football uh, you know, for a living, or as James Bench likes to call it, soccer, uh, for 18 hours a day. Uh, he's deservedly parlayed his YouTube channel into a full-fledged community of subscribers who all communicate with each other, support each other through life and sometimes, sadly, death, um, through all the common connection of a football club and, more importantly, uh, an affinity for great content from a great guy. Um, he's further grown his experience in writing and content production in his role at Football.London, and he's the only one on the panel who exactly one week ago tonight was enjoying his wedding day to his lovely bride, Georgia. Welcome to someone who I'm always proud to be associated in any way, Tom King. <laughs> speech indeed, yes. No, the speech was last week, uh, a lot shorter than my morning shows. Um, no, thank you so much, everybody, for coming in. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. That was genuinely um, better than what my wife said on our wedding night to me. Um, but no, thank you, everybody, for coming. Uh, those that, of course, know the channel and know the Discord community in particular will know why Mike said certain things in the intro. And, you know, Vinny, who was a massive part, and we may touch upon him later, I'm sure, but um, we'll be very happy and thank you that everybody came tonight. So thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tom, for coming. And I'll hold back on Sophie's uh, introduction until she gets here. So we're going to go a little bit out of order. But, uh, but that's our panel. It's great to hear uh, from them. And that's, that's the show, guys. Uh, thanks for coming. No. Uh, also wanted to give a quick shout out to a few other people uh, who are in the audience today before we get into kind of the official podcast. Um, tonight, we're 
really, really thrilled to have with us and someone who I've, I've met and known online for three years and finally got to meet in person for the first time tonight. The very, very talented Ruth Beck of Ruth Beck Art. Please stand up and, and wave. <laughs> I love it when people come up with really creative names for their company, and, and Ruth Beck Art is <laughs> up there with anything I could have possibly thought of. Uh, Ruth's been affiliated through reaching out and asking if she could be affiliated uh, with Gunners versus Cancer for over three years now, and um, it, it's just an absolute pleasure to finally meet you, and you know, we have provided through live events in the U.S., here at the U.K., at the Tollington uh, back in, in May, and other opportunities, we've we've been able to kind of share her art through charitable fundraising, and it, it's a massive incentive for people to donate. And you've been so kind in donating that. So thank you. Please go to buyruthbeckart.com and buyruthbeckmerch.com, where you can find all of her cool stuff, like art, merch, merch, and all that. So uh, and Ruth has an, a pretty incredible prize that you all have entries to win tonight as well. So thanks to Ruth. Uh, also in the crowd tonight, I, I have to mention my lovely wife of 25 years, Stephanie. People think that the pictures I put on the podcast are fake, but no, she's actually... She's real. She, she was a last-minute transfer deadline move I made in, in 1997, and uh, I think this one actually worked out uh, better than Kim Kallstrom. Um, <laughs> The two of us were recently asked to pose for both the Beauty and the Beast posters that they have on the tube, uh, as well as um, the picture next to the definition of punching um, in the dictionary. But uh, I, there's a lot of other uh, people here. I think I saw Kaya come in. Uh, Hoggy uh, is distracting me by putting his mug right in front of my face. Um, Fran uh, is in the house. James. Uh, uh, just so many great people, Albert, uh, a lot of content providers, uh, producers, a lot of other artists, and, uh, and a lot of great people. So thank you again for everybody uh, for coming. Before we get into the roundtable, I uh, just want to talk about kind of the prizes that we have. If you didn't hear the, the, the non-microphone speech earlier, we have four, actually five great prizes to give away to uh, winners that are here tonight. The first is a team signed shirt from 2020-21. Um, it's got the entire team on there. Whether you like all the players on that team or not is another story, uh, but it's still a nice memento to have. You know, you know, they're just squiggles anyway, so you don't have to tell anyone that you know William signed the shirt. <laughs> um, we also have uh, a brand new 2022 pink uh, third kit, uh, non-personalized, so you don't have to worry about having the wrong name on the back. Um, and uh, that's a, a men's size large. We have a one-of-a-kind. Uh, we have the uh, the picture. We have this print from Ruth Beck, signed and framed, and it's called Highbury Days, right? And you have to really look at it for about two hours to to pick up on most of the the references and the Easter eggs and the different things in there. It's just an amazing piece, a collaboration between Ruth and Gav from She War, uh, and you'll be able to get that in um, in in jigsaw puzzle form over the holidays as well. So um, we've also got a 30-pound gift certificate, uh, kind of a, a free card that was donated by one of our incredible listeners and, and fellow squatties, which we'll explain a little bit more in a minute, uh, Lynn Simpson. So stick around at the end of the podcast. You'll have a chance to donate a little bit more uh, to get extra chances to win, and then we're going to be drawing the prize winners. So enough of me. Um, 
let's meet our guests in a little bit more detail. Um, and again, we'll go around the horn a little bit. So, Harry, um, when you were a wee lad, uh, <laughs> were you always thinking that football journalism and, and broadcasting was what you wanted to do? I mean, you know, I know that you and Tom specifically kind of found your current status through a maybe different route than, than others uh, have. So, I mean, was that something you always wanted to do or did it just... No, I, I wanted to be a footballer. Um, I, I wanted to be a footballer. I had no interest in, in journalism, no interest in broadcasting. I just wanted to play football. Um, I know a lot of people say this. I actually did do quite well. I played for Leighton Orient for two seasons. Now, genuinely, <laughs> genuinely. Um, but I'm not going to give one of those sob stories that I was injured or anything like that. I just wasn't good enough. I, I didn't make it. I wasn't good enough. And um, for about a year, I probably fell out of love with football for a little bit. Not in terms of watching Arsenal and going to games and things like that. But I didn't want to play the game anymore. Um, and then I discovered kebabs and going out. And, and yeah, and... <laughs> And uh, now you see me like this. So, no, it wasn't something that I always wanted to do. But as I kind of started podcasting and things like that, um, and I, basically my podcast journey started with a, a good mate of mine who was my next door neighbor. Um, and we started a podcast which did quite well, which was a general football podcast. It had nothing to do with Arsenal. Um, but he used to tell me that I was too biased and I kept talking about Arsenal too much. So then I branched off. Um, and did my own thing and, and that's where it kind of came from everything that I've done to date and still hope to continue to do there's so much more I want to do um, has come off the back of a podcast and lovely people supporting it yes it's it's amazing I mean you you get yourself out there you do a professional job you had uh, obviously production elements which is I mean we just learned on our podcast about production elements a couple of weeks ago and we're and we're in our seventh season as you saw um, but no it, it it's a common recurring theme as I as I continue to just be amazed by the uh, the people that are surrounding me uh, is you know hard work pays off. Uh, you can't just turn on the camera and share your feelings and expect somebody to be interested in it. You've got to really put a lot of work into it behind the scenes and on camera. This person's thrilled to, to, to see <laughs> Harry. Um, <laughs> you also uh, have an affinity for Serie A, uh, Italian football league, and and I don't know what's going on at other English clubs, much less like be able to control and, and keep all the information in my head from other leagues. But but you do quite a bit with uh, with Italian leagues as well, is that? Yeah, I, I, I've always loved Italian football since I was young. Um, most of you will remember Football Italia on Channel 4. That was kind of the start of it for me. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Which is your club? And um, I don't have a club, and that's the beauty of it. I can watch Italian football and enjoy it without the stress that comes with watching Arsenal. So you could actually play fantasy Italian football. See, I, I, there's a thing with me in fantasy Premier League, but uh, but you know, if you don't have a team, if you don't have a rooting interest, then by all means, I would allow exactly I would allow that exactly. to happen. It's stress free. It's nice and it's a little bit slower, so you can put it on on a Sunday night, put your feet up, relax. There's, there's, there's none of that stress that comes with the Premier League. Well, beautiful, and and uh, and congratulations again to you for uh, for growing a a hobby into uh, into a career. Thank you, man. Appreciate. It's not it. easy to do that. Uh, FK, you're no stranger to the podcasting and social media game, um, but you finally pulled the trigger about 18 months ago or so and started the Latte Firm. Uh, just tell us about your experience so far. I mean, you obviously came into the podcasting game with with good contacts, good relationships, and good kind of recognition of, of, of who you were. 
but you've put in a tremendous amount of work. You've surrounded yourself by good people, and you're doing podcasts and and other types of other types of communication that are not just the traditional video podcasts that are a little bit more inclusive. So tell us a little bit about about your journey. <laughs> My journey. Um, oh, look, nothing nothing quite as uh, you know fantastic as sort of playing the game. I was a horrific footballer. My mother must have fed me kebabs since the day I was born. But um, but no, look, I, I I'm a I'm a I'm in marketing. I'm an accountant by by profession, so I've never been a podcaster, radio broadcaster, or anything. And it was during pandemic that I was a bit bored. I couldn't go to games. I needed my release, and my wife was getting a bit frustrated as to how grumpy I'd get without not going to football. So I started it as a as a side thing, and it grew very very quickly. Um, I managed to use some of my contacts that you've just talked about, Mike, some really kind journalists, uh, really well-respected journalists in the game who sort of gave me that first step on the ladder. And me. <laughs> uh, absolutely, James has been really key to that sort of growth. And it's just been a lot of fun, Mike. It's you know predominantly a release. I love the engagement that I have with people who watch the channel. And it's just been, I'm so grateful for like all the support and stuff that I get. So, so yeah, it's just a combination of being bored during pandemic and needing that release, and, and here we are. Well, and when I've looked, you know, looked through your streams, when I see them come up, your guest list, I, I think we have the same role. Like we call it a Rolodex. Uh, I don't know what what you call it over here, but we have the same. We're in the same circle, so it was it was surprising that we never really collaborated as much until just recently. But uh, but it, 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 I love what you're doing, and, and tell us about the the Twitter spaces because you've you've. I've seen a lot of people uh, kind of dabble in that and 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 take their feet out of the pool, but you seem to be embracing it and uh, and and using that as a way to kind of get more people involved in kind of a more of an open mic type format. Yeah, so I just wanted to try something different. Like my whole life, I've been on the road, sort of in my sales role, listening to talk sport, and I used to love like the sports bar with Andy Goldstein, and I like that sort of concept, like chilled phone-ins. And I've tuned into my fair share of spaces, and I, I, I often feel like they're a bit chaotic. So I thought I wanted to start something like a bit of an Arsenal phone-in, post-games, Senior was on last night. I'm sorry for butchering your name. Um, but it's just a chance to give anyone from around the world to just talk about Arsenal and whatever game we're covering. And it's been, it's been really good. Like, the feedback's been overwhelming. So, again, it's, I'm, I'm new to it. I'm raw to it. I'm learning. But it's something that I wanted to do that I thought was quite different. Great, and you're doing a great job at it. So. Thank you. Uh, so, James, it's it's not just Tom and, and Kaya here in the back who have football.london on their CVs. Um, there's there's a long celebrated Mike, list. what does the bell mean? Can I just – is there a reason for that that I'm is, missing? Is this the AFC bell? This, this is not the AFC bell. <laughs> Seven years ago, I, I, I'm a it's huge – I just the chur bell. <laughs> don't, keep, don't give away that secret. Um I'm a big fan of Britishisms, English phrases that you would just never, especially surrounding football, that you would never hear uh, anyone in America talk about unless they listen to a lot of podcasts or watch a lot of football. Things like sixes and sevens and uh, in the ascendancy and that sort of thing. So when we started doing a podcast, I, for some reason, I got this hotel bell. And every time someone says one of those phrases, including myself, the bell goes off. And it's just, it's kind of become a running joke for for many years and when i travel on tours like when arsenal's in in charlotte or in uh, orlando and i do a podcast people think it's hilarious that i travel I mean, my wife thinks it's ridiculous that i travel with the bell and it kind of is even more ridiculous i sleep with the bell 
and th and there's no real reason for that. So, um, so that's the belt. There is a uh, there's a long celebrated list of journalism uh, journalists who have come through the football London ranks. I mean yourself, Charles Watts, uh, some folks like uh, Charles Wheatley, Lath. Is football not London the Southampton or Ajax or, or like Borussia Dortmund of, of football journalism? <laughs> Have I forgotten anyone? Or? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you've got uh, Art de Roche as well. Art, who, yeah, um, right. He's fantastic. And I think in terms of football.london, they, they give a chance to, you know, guys like Tom and Kaya. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that did not. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, you know. <laughs> Jury is still out. <laughs> yeah, if you swing, if you swing enough, you, you hit some out of the ballpark. Sometimes, sometimes like with me, they go, "What on earth do we let ourselves into in for?" and uh, get rid of me as quickly as they can. Um, I mean, I, I, I think it, it's really exciting when you when you're on panels like this and, and talking to just in general when you're in the wider Arsenal community and you meet these guys that are doing this out of a passion and a, a desire to just talk about Arsenal. Um, and I think football.london and, and reach, and obviously there are problems with, 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 with it, but it gives people a platform. And um, I think that's really hard to kind of find in the, in the modern industry. Um, and it gets, it, it, it does things like actually getting you out there, which I know, like, I'm sure Kai, you'll agree with me. It's, you know, it, it you come on leaps and bounds as a journalist when you're just around the club. Um, it makes it a lot easier. And it's, that is really challenging. Like the journalism world can be quite a closed space when you, when you enter it, it can be quite intimidating. Um, especially Tom, if you happen to be interviewing Granite Xhaka and ask the wrong question, um, I'll let you tell that story uh, in a bit. Um, that was, everyone we has a Granite Jacker story. story. <laughs> um, I've got one. Everyone has been told to fuck off by Granite Jacker. <laughs> um, but I deserved it, unlike Tom. Um, but it's um, yeah. I, what I would say is it's a it's a, a fantastic place for giving opportunities to the next up and coming stars, and I think you see it pays dividends with the likes of Charles and Kaya and Tom and Hart. Absolutely, I mean, it's amazing the list that's come through. So. So CBS now provides the American access to uh, on television for competitions like the Champions League, the Europa League, the Europa Conference League, and the brand new league for teams with cows on their pitches, uh, which is the fourth competition. Uh, once those competitions begin each year, do you pretty much slide over exclusively to covering those competitions, or do you still have kind of the general Premier League beat, the Arsenal beat, um, you know, from... September to May, are you pretty much on Europe? Well, it's, a, it's supposed to be a, a Premier League beat, but um, I kind of brazenly disregard that and go to whatever Arsenal games <laughs> I fancy. I mean, especially at the back end of last season, I would be going, yeah, look, I really think Arsenal against Brighton is the, the biggest game of this weekend in which Manchester City are probably facing off against Liverpool. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's helter-skelter in this season and, like, you know, we're all about to find this just as the viewing public... Uh, it's about to go haywire and we've got a whole uh, Champions League, Europa League group stage to do in the space of two months. Um, it's going to be six weeks of games, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, some two, such... days, two games a day, two different time slots in nine weeks as yeah. opposed to the normal 14 or 15 weeks. It's going to be really tough if all your midfielders are injured. We are top of the league. 
<laughs> my next question was what what kind of uh, impact, like on a team that you know, for example, might not have as many players as they could possibly have had. Uh, but we'll be we'll be going into that when we talk about the transfer window because obviously that's a, a topic of the day. But uh, you've got some busy days coming up, so thanks for for taking the time to to get together. Um, Tom, congratulations on your wedding last Friday. Uh, a round of applause. All kidding aside, um, I had a chance. Kid, to... Kidding? What's kidding about my wedding? <laughs> <laughs> Having met Georgia in New York a few years ago, and don't worry, Tom was also there. Uh, <laughs> and knowing you guys over the years, uh, you're a perfect match. She's she's lovely. You're punching. Um, it's Always better to be punching. It's incredible. It's incredible to see two people in love who like support each other. And I mean, you you have taken a leap of faith, not just in marriage, but in your career with your finances, with, you know, with your futures. And, um, you know, she has supported you every bit of the way, as I know you would and have for her as well. So honestly, without, I mean, he's not used to seeing me this sappy, but I'm still in kind of wedding mode and I didn't get to give a speech there. So I'm kind of giving it now. Um, but you know, with, with the Gunner talk, you've not only built a platform to launch a career on, which, which we now know is, is going into the written space and, and covering the team. Uh, but you built a community like we talked about. And, and that is what is so unique about yours and our next guests. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's not just good content. It's building a community of good people who actually care about each other, who, who look after each other. And, um, and, and so, you know, I just, again, want to give you kudos for what you've done there because there's two ways to build a channel that's successful. And I say this not from experience, um, but from observation, <laughs> there's a lot of ways to just build a channel, but you can either go postal, as we say back in the States, you can just rant and rave and be the loudest and the most divisive and the most negative and become a, a kind of a talisman for people who are not happy with their lives or that works, unfortunately, or you can put in a lot of hard work, a lot of effort, a lot of uh, consistency, a lot of good information. And, uh, and, and build a community, and that's, that's really what you've done at, at the Gunner Talk. So if you can put into words, which is like what you do for a living, um, tell us about the evolution from just taking over a YouTube channel to where you are now in your career. Yeah, I mean, obviously, first of all, whenever I talk about the channel, I talk about Craig because Craig started the Guna Talk, you know, back in 2015. Um, and without Craig, you know, I wouldn't be where I am. So I always make sure I give Craig credit for that. Um, but yeah, took it on in, in 2016. And, it, you know, it was in a very, very different place then. And it would be weird to, to try and be Craig. That, would, that wouldn't have been me. So we took it in a very different direction. I think the channel mainly became known to most people through two avenues. One would either be the tactical breakdowns, which we started doing, I think, way back in 2018, 19, um, which was like videos of me in my parents' house. It was, it was terrible yellow paint in the background. It was awful. Um, or the other one is obviously the 8am shows, which I know a lot of you here today obviously tune in for, and I'm, I'm massively grateful for everyone that does get up ridiculously early in the morning to join me at 8 a.m. Um, so many people can't Steph rolls over, and I'm it's 3 a.m. <laughs> it's 3 a.m. in the morning, and I'm I've got my you know I'm watching something about uh, you know some Thielen Polish player, second yeah. league player that I never heard of that we that we've been linked with. So yeah, but that, yeah, and that's that's crazy. But I mean, the community thing was was key. I think you know, and I, I never want to speak for anyone else, and you know. 
these guys have built their own amazing channels and but i always feel like there is there is a responsibility when you have a channel and an audience that especially if you jump into a chat box or and there's a lot of you you'll watch youtube and whenever you jump in and you want to leave a comment or you want to leave an opinion that when you leave that opinion you're not going to get slagged off for having that opinion and I know I can be pretty touchy with the ban hammer, as probably some of you have seen. I mean, I've had people message me saying, I'm really sorry, can you unban me, please? I didn't mean to say that. Um, didn't mean to say yeah. that. <laughs> you definitely did. Not me. I, I know. I but, didn't know it would go so poorly. But... but, you know, I think that's part of it. And I think that the Discord server in particular, and the members that we have on the channel have created such an amazing space. We've gone through a really tough time, as a lot of people know, in the last month, because we lost, obviously, a very close friend of ours, Vinny, um, which is part of the massive reason why we're so thankful you for all of you guys turning up to support what is a really amazing cause. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's crazy what has happened. And, you know, I've met some amazing people, not just, of course, you amazing listeners, but, but these guys and gal, of course, uh, with us this evening. It's been an amazing journey. So speaking of an amazing journey, we have some pictures from the wedding. Um, <laughs> so I am really punching on our journey. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. Some have been released officially through the Tom Canton channel. Others were taken by me. Um, that was the first That was pitch. definitely taken by you because it's blurry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was also taken by me. But, uh, and that's Bailey in the middle, also a, a football.london, uh, what do we say, pledge? Sure. <laughs> in a, in a <laughs> pledge. pledge. Um, but uh, a lovely guy as well. So uh, not to brag, but Tom was given one podcaster invitation to the wedding, just one, and he spent it on me. You, no one else was invited and couldn't come. It was just, it was just me. So yeah, uh, not no, our not blog, true <laughs> not our blog, not 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 Sophie, not Clive, not Mike Hertz, uh, just me. Um, speaking of Sophie, we got a lot to catch up on because Sophie was, you know, on air in front of fifties of people, not many many fifties of people um, before. But uh, but Sophie, uh, she's flown the longest to be here tonight from Los Angeles, California, where she covers both LA MLS teams, hosted and produced various football media endeavors where she's worked in the film industry, public relations, she just put down her microphone because she knows how I, uh, <laughs> how I am with introductions, marketing, you name it. She's worked in London Greek radio, probably was a soothing voice that, that a very young Harry Simeon fell asleep to. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> She's did, done... you, did you used to listen, Harry, back in the day? Always, always. I still do, but it's not the same anymore. It's great when you it's meet. Downhill. It's great when you meet your childhood heroes, isn't it? No. <laughs> um, and of course, uh, I mean, she's recently been on Talk Sport, like as in ten minutes ago. Sky Sports transfer deadline yesterday, um, and uh, uh, you know, of course, what we all know and love her for, which is her dedicated and masterful hosting, architecting, and her incredible creativity that she brings to the Arsenal podcast the Highbury Squad, along with her brother from another mother, the superest of Kevs, Kevin Campbell. So uh, she's someone who I'm also very proud to call a true friend, a confidant, a sounding board, an incredible human being, and my partner in a mutual admiration society. And let's all welcome today's birthday girl, Sophie Nicolau. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Sophie. Happy birthday to you. Bless you guys. I think I sang that with an English accent. Uh, I, I just kind of got into the whole thing. 
Sophie, welcome. Thanks Thank for you. having me and thanks to everyone for coming. And I'm really honored to be sitting along these really special guys. I've, I've never met uh, FK and James before. And, um, you know, this is what's so wonderful about our podcast community is meeting incredible people and everyone who's come here this evening spending their Friday night with us. I always say on our show, thanks for making us part of your day. And that's very precious, in my opinion. It is. And, and you are part of their day almost every single day. So uh, I have to admit something. Uh, my name is Mike Feinberg, and I am a squatty. Um, <laughs> not a roasty. I'm a squatty. Well, I'm not a roasty. Uh, <laughs> I'm a squatty. I'm not the only one. Uh, I see some squatties in the audience. The people who were here earliest were, were the dedicated squatties and, and uh if you would start off by explaining to those who don't know, what exactly is a squatty to you? What, what, is, what does that mean? So to me, a little, a little bit like what Tom was saying, um, when we started the Highbury Squad, it really was an outlet, you know, to talk about the club that I love. And, you know, slowly but surely, we started building a community of people who love and care about the club the same way that I do. And, you Stephen Foote, actually, uh, some of you may know of him. He listens to Harry and Tom's show, and I think he tunes into you as well, Mike, and God bless him. Another listener who's found some health challenges over the last uh, few months. Um, as, as the conversations are going in the chat and everyone was starting to become friends and we were building this community, you know, from listeners in Nigeria to Australia and India and they were like following each other on Twitter. And Stephen's like, wow, it's like we're all just a bunch of squaddies. And then it just stuck. And that's kind of how the name came to be. And one of the things I'm really proud of on our show is that I never started the show to monetize it in any way. I started the show to really build a community and, and create great content. And content that was just a little bit different. Um, and outside of game day analysis and tactics and all that type of stuff. I love telling stories. I think that comes from my film background, having worked, you know, in the industry for a number of years with different filmmakers and talent. And for me, that's just been my greatest passion. And the fact that we have a listenership right now that embraces that is special. And then when you add Super Kevin Campbell into the mix, well, you know, things got a little bit lit. So, you know, <laughs> he's a very special human being. And I just want to say, like, a lot of the times people write, you know, because we all get it in, in the comment section in YouTube, right? There's going to always be people that have a particular opinion about something. Like, how much are you paying, Kevin? And what does he get paid by the club? Kevin gets paid absolutely diddly squat. He does it because he loves Arsenal Football Club and he loves doing the show and he loves the listeners. And so, you know, we've built like a really good foundation well, and, for and he what loves we do you as well. Um, I, and mean, I love he, him. He, he does. And, and, you know, I was going to say that a lot of people probably mistake the success of the Highbury squad uh, as being because of the presence of an ex arsenal. I call him a legend because, because I know him and love him, but you know, 59 goals for the arsenal is not a bad, uh, a bad takeaway. And, and then becoming a legend at future clubs as well, at least two or three other clubs, Everton, West Brom. Uh, they love him at Trabzonspor. Bon Trabzonspor, bon that's for sure. He, he even spent some time uh, helping Leighton Orient stay up. So, was that when you were in the squad? Or? 
I, I'm not going to lie. I've, I, I, they're not my favorite club in the world anymore. So, <laughs> so, uh, so, I mean, it isn't because he joined the podcast. It, it doesn't hurt. But I mean, Kevin was putting out his own materials on YouTube. He was doing interviews. He was dabbling, and they didn't have the kind of traction, even with him being who he is, as what you've built. It's just, it's a perfect kind of yin-yang situation sometimes, and I've never seen people disagree as often, but as as kindly and as as respectfully and who put it away at the end of at the end of the show. Uh, and that's what makes your show so special. I mean, you know, there are, you, you've got your one person shows who are occasionally then panel shows, same, uh, you know, FK, you have a panel show as well. Um, most often it's two of you uh, going back and forth and and it's just it's a great podcast and i think the player fan perspective because at the end of the day i'm a fan but so is he kevin grew up in brixton you know south london all he, all he wanted to do was play for arsenal you know he grew up as much as an arsenal fan as the rest of us and i think that's unique that then he gets to play at highbury and score goals and you know it's like such a pipe dream type of you know um you know path that that happened with him and yeah, sometimes as a fan, I have to say real quick before you move on, I was so happy in All or Nothing when Mikel Arteta kept talking about emotion because I've heard so often for so long, you're too emotional. And I so love that he's embraced that narrative because as fans, that's what football's all about. We're emotional. And Kev comes from a different type of place where he's played the game, takes us behind the white lines and into the dressing room that is a bit less emotional, and I think that's a really good combination. Yeah, I mean, he, he, and he balances it great. Speaking of Super Kev, we have a, a, a brief video. He couldn't be with us tonight, but uh, but he did want to be with us in spirit. So, uh, so on to Super Kev. Hi, Sophie. Happy birthday, my darling. I hope you're well. Hi to all the panel, Magic Mike, everybody supporting Gunas versus Cancer. It's a great cause. So from me, Super Kev, thanks to you. But this message is to you, Super Sophie, 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 Sophie. I hope you're well and I hope you have an absolutely beautiful day. Glad you're over in the UK, enjoying yourself, letting everybody see you and not just seeing you on the screen, see you in live and flesh in person. I'm hopefully going to see you at Manchester United at some stage anyway in Manchester. But anyway, have a great day. Look after yourself. Take good care, darling. And it's always a pleasure seeing and it's great to work with you. Look after yourself. Lots of love. The consummate professional, Sophie. Lots of love, darling. Happy birthday. See you, everybody. Take good care and raise loads of bread for Magic Mike and a great cause, Gooners versus Cancer. Bye-bye. My favorite thing about Kevin Campbell is he does he does these pre-recorded videos a lot for the podcast. And are you gonna cry? No. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you can. I mean, no, no, might help with no, might might help with ratings. Uh, <laughs> when he does pre-recorded videos for the Highbury Squad or for this, he doesn't know how to end them. <laughs> he just keeps going, and, and I love that because you could tell like this is where it should have ended, and then he just keeps going, and I'll take all I can get from Kevin. So, uh, oh, he's a sweet guy. So, all right, so there's three Arsenal-related topics of note uh, surrounding the club right now, and they're all kind of interrelated. So, you know, want to kind of toss it around the table again. Obviously, I'm going through a pattern here. And, uh, 
you know, everyone can have a say on any or all of the topics, your feelings about that. And then, you know, we'll open it up to any, uh, any user questions that, that, that the audience might have. Uh, so uh, now I created user questions. He thinks that he came up with user questions. It's not that, that, that's just that I've never heard user questions in my life. Yeah. Well, be, we think people should use a podcast, not just don't just watch it. You have to like get all squeeze all the juice out of it. Uh, I probably should just stop. Um, so the three topics, ladies and gentlemen, we played slightly over 13 percent of the season. And I mean, we're getting all 114 points. At this point, top of the league, perfect record. Times are good. Uh, the bond between the supporters, this is kind of point two, the bond between the supporters and the club is back in full force. The atmosphere home and away, which I am fortunate enough to have been able to, you know, to, to envision uh, and be part of is incredible. The best I've ever seen it in the Emirates era. And it really does seem to play into the team's success. But because we're Arsenal and we can't have all the nice things, uh, cue the meltdown with the transfer window closing last night with, you know, with a couple of maybe things left undone, uh, despite some predictable early season injuries. So, Harry, um, you know, I, I know kind of your general view on, on, on these sort of things. I recall your, your feelings after the January transfer window. Um, but you've had some statements lately about how you feel kind of yesterday went or, or didn't go. But... What's your view? Because we're kind of at an inflection point now where, you know, it can only almost go down from here. It's just how we handle that or kind of tread water that's going to be the interesting part. So where do you think we are now? Well, I think it's important that people don't get carried away. Um, you know, I don't want to kill all the fun, but, you know, this is a team that is still growing, is still developing. There's a lot of work that still needs to be done to get us to the level that Manchester City are at or that Liverpool have been at. And... I think when we look at where we were last season, where we were expected to be at the start of the campaign, where we finished up, I think you can look back at it now that the dust has settled and say, we did well. You know, it wasn't what we all wanted. We all wanted that top four finish, but it wasn't to be. We were just a little bit short. With the transfer window, though, I think it's really interesting because on the one hand, you don't want to be in that place that we've been in over the years where we've had an overinflated squad of overpaid players, let's be honest, that weren't fit for purpose. And the reason I, I wouldn't say, I, <laughs> I wouldn't say I was happy with the January transfer window, but there was a part of me that was happy that we didn't just do things for the sake of it. And I think I feel the same about this window here. Um, you know, the, the majority of the business has been very good. It's been very, um, you know, effective already. You can see it in Jesus, Zinchenko, um, some of the other players we've brought in as well, and the further development of some of the youngsters as they continue to improve. But I think last night I did kind of get myself in the zone of, yes, we need a midfielder. I do think we, sh we could have done with getting a midfielder. Douglas Louise wasn't someone that was on my list, but it wasn't a new report. We hadn't just heard about this. Um, James will probably be able to say better, but he's a player that's been linked with Arsenal in the past. And I must admit, I thought that Aston Villa would buckle. I really did. Nine months left on his contract, 25 million pounds. I thought it was going to happen. Did you read? Did you see what the gerbil posted halfway through? Though I mean, he said it wasn't going to he or she. Well, I don't know who yeah, the gerbil is. No, no club are ever going to come out and say unless the circumstances are you know very special. This player is for sale because the the value instantly nosedives when they do that. So I, I just thought that Villa would buckle. And Steven Gerrard had spoken after the Arsenal game and said, "Look, I can't guarantee we're going to keep him." It kind of, I'm paraphrasing, but 
the club will do what's best for the club. And, and that combined with the bids going in, I thought it was going to happen. So I was disappointed. But at the same time, the window's been largely positive. We're top of the league, five out of five. Why are we having meltdowns about the transfer window? If, if we fall off as a result of being short in that midfield position, people are well within their rights to bring it up and say, this was an, an issue, this is the reason that we've fallen off. Do you, do you point to that being the reason we fell off from being five points clear, four points clear, I think, in fourth place last year? It was one of the reasons. Right. It would have made some difference, but we were incredibly unlucky with injuries. Incredibly unlucky. We didn't just lose our centre of midfield in Thomas Partey. We lost both fullbacks at one stage. Ben White was in and out of the team at the back end of last season, which caused problems in the heart of the defence. There were so many issues, and to pin it solely on that, I think, is unfair. Yeah. So I think football is a far more complicated game than, than people sometimes talk about. And um, I'm glad that we haven't overspent, because ultimately this period where we've not been challenging for the big trophies is a consequence of bad spending on bad players over a long period of time. So if the club are a little bit more reserved and only go big when they think the player is worth it, the progress is there, so we kind of got to trust them. FK, we've often, uh, to, to I think it's an understatement to say we've left things late in the transfer window. Um, you know, there's there's been a lot of nothing in July. I, oftentimes it's summer competitions such as the World Cup or the Euros. Um, there's, you know, Copa America. None of that this summer. And I think a lot of lessons learned as well is the fact that we got so much good business done so early kind of all of a sudden being forgotten by people in the sense that, uh, you know, we didn't make any moves the last two or three weeks. It might even be maybe four or five weeks. Uh, I don't remember the dates, but, you know, we, we had a backwards window, a successful one, but one that was done so early that it's left people with that taste in their mouth of why didn't we strengthen at the end? It, are, are people thinking in those terms or is it really the, the recent injuries and the, and the lack of cover that, that have stained the last couple of days in some people's minds? Well, obviously I can't talk for everyone, but my, my personal thoughts are that, yeah, we had a really good start to the window. We addressed a lot of issues that the team had and we bought really sensibly. And last summer, of course, is a really good window as well. I think the fact that we've had injuries just in the last like week, Thomas Party now going to miss a few weeks perhaps, uh, on many months, I think is what was said today, that kind of just leaves a really bitter taste in my mouth. And I felt a little bit gutted actually last night when the window shut. Uh, for the longest time, I felt that we've lacked depth in midfield. I think Bukayo Saka is at risk of um, just being over overplayed. He's played 48 games consecutively. Is that that red line kind of feeling with him? Yeah, right? you just, I mean, he could just do with a break. And of course, he's going to get the World Cup. So, I mean, to answer your question, Mike, great start to the window. And I think you can be absolutely happy about that. You should be happy about that. We should be really proud that we've acted fast and quickly. Um, but I just think, yeah, I'm, I'm really sort of frustrated because I feel it's an opportunity missed. And Harry, you just said, like, you know, we, we were really unlucky with injuries last season. We know that injuries are inevitable at Arsenal to an extent. Thomas Partey's started 58% of Premier League games since he's joined the club. And so we know that that's an issue. It wasn't something new that was going to happen this season. So to not add any sort of depth to our midfield, I think, is going to cost us. That's why I feel gutted. But that doesn't undo any of the good work that the club has done in terms of clear out and also bringing players in. Yeah, I think, I think this, I mean, this could come back to Han Arsenal and there could be reason to complain about it. In my personal opinion, why pre-complain though? Like, like exactly. Why get the exactly. why get the complaints in early so that you could, you know, essentially when 
Well, speaking of pre-complaining, uh, <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, it, it, it just seems an easy reaction. And, and, you know, my hope is that the intent of the, the pre-complaining is not to be able to say, I told you so afterwards, because that's not worth much currency, in my opinion. Um, but others might not agree. So, James, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because you are probably the closest to, you know, hearing directly from the club oh, nice. uh, and from Arteta. Um, you were at Colney today, right? Yeah. Uh, press conference pre, uh, pre-Manchester United. Uh, anyone go for the uh, why didn't you do anything yesterday in the transfer market question? Yeah, and I, I thought Mikel gave a pretty clear indication of what, what Arsenal thought about Douglas Louise, at least in terms of what he said there, which was, you know, we were, this wasn't necessarily something that was pre-planned. As we all know, they were looking at getting a winger. That was their top priority. Then Elneny and Partey go down and, and they're looking to do something. But as he kind of said, it has to be the right player at the right cost. Um, and that right cost bit is very significant. You know, talking to people last night, um, back to what Harry said, people at Arsenal were like baffled. Like, you know, Villa will say one thing publicly, but I think everyone thought that 25, which was the upper limit of what Arsenal would go to, that, that Villa would say, yeah, that's that's fair fair deal for uh, someone that's good well be gone for nothing. It's the Premier League middle class. They can afford to, to let 25 million burn. But, you know, kind of looping back on what these guys said, I just, I mean, I, I find it a little hard to, to get that downbeat about it. After all, like, you know, as you said, it's only 13% of the season. But Arsenal are top of the league. No, I meant it as 13%. it's 13% of the season. How many more? 30, another 13% and we're a quarter of the way to the title. Um, it's... <laughs> that, needs, that needs to be the headline for your next article. Uh, for Let's CBS. do it. Let's do it. Let's write that to CBS. 13 more percent and we'll be 26% of the way to <laughs> something we haven't done in... It, you know, I mean, for, for one that. thing, you know, they, I, you, I would suspect if you played the first five games of the season without Zinchenko and Jesus, that there wouldn't be 15 points from 15. And actually, it's much better to, to get those players in ultra early rather than just, you know, wait till deadline day so that you can get the endorphin rush on social media and you can avoid having fans calling you a, an idiot. But it feels like, the, for me, it feels like the squad is, yeah, it's, it could do with one player, whether it's a winger that means Vieira plays as an eight more or whether it's a midfielder and you play Vieira as a winger. But, you know, I th- it's just transfers. I know that's, you know, that's anathema for a journalist to say, but it's just, you know, it's just recruitment. Sometimes you get unlucky as well. Sometimes you've got two players for a defensive midfield position in, in party and on any and, Sometimes they both get banjacks and you've got to deal with it. And um, I know it's frustrating because I know that Arsenal supporters want and some of them demand two top quality players in every position. That's just not the way of the world. Look what happened to Liverpool. And they've had to go out and buy a Juventus cast off that Arsenal wouldn't buy because they just needed someone. They needed a warm body. It, You know, Sometimes your luck's in and sometimes your luck's out. At the moment, Arsenal are a little bit unlucky, but you know the fixture list has fallen kindly for them and they've got a mid-table scrapper at the weekend, so they'll probably beat them pretty easily. Yeah, we just got to be careful, though, because you know, they're, they're, they're a wounded animal right now. Yeah, well, those you know, negative teams that just play on the counter-attack and, and don't have any ideas what to do with the possession are always tough to beat. Just be a shame if they get some help from the refs, right? 
So, Tom, uh, Arsenal seem disciplined at this point. Um, I think they've, I mean, they'll spend what they plan to spend. They won't go out and above that. They've, they've got their, uh, their process uh, of, uh, that they want to follow, where even though there was an opportunity to maybe strengthen up and, and, and make some splashes last January, get more bodies in there that could potentially have prevented a collapse uh, in an injury situation, they they knew that money was sitting there on the table and they took the chance and and, and it backfired. Uh, I think they are probably doing the same thing now. But uh, it's refreshing to not just spend forty million on on Douglas Louise and fifty five million on Tielemans just because we need to get them in. But it's going to be kind of hard when you know when when we see us really really short and, and moving players around. So. Uh, you, you're pretty outspoken on the reactions to the transfer window. So where do you uh, where do you fall on that, and everything else? But yeah, uh, yeah. Look, I like a lot of people. I think you know we were really. You know, I was gutted. You know, eleven o'clock last night. Genuinely gutted that we hadn't brought anyone else in. Um, <laughs> if I say it again, do you have to do it? Again? No. I just I was gutted. I'm feeling like it's a bit of a cheap trick at this point. So, uh, so that might be the last one. But, I would have loved to have seen us bring in a midfielder. I would have loved to have seen us bring in, you know, a competitor to Kai Saka because I think they're the two positions that all of us know are the holes. We know they're the areas that if Saka gets injured or if another midfielder goes down, you know, we're in a lot of trouble. However, like, you know, like Harry was pointing out, one of the big reasons why we didn't get top four last season was because, you know, Partey, Tomiyasu, Tierney, Ben White, all gone. Not only are we top of the league, but we're top of the league despite the fact that we've lost three deep midfielders from our starting position. You know, Partey, Elneny, both gone. I mean, to lose those starting players, first choice and second choice deep midfielder in the first four games, is, the first five games is mad. Not only that, we've then lost Zinchenko, who's been arguably alongside Jesus and Martinelli, probably our most influential player on the field. The luck is ridiculous that we've had to face. But I don't necessarily think that should have prompted us to abandon the principles that we've set in the transfer market. Because I don't want to see us going back to the arsenals of the mid-2010s and the early 2010s that were going out and spending £34 million on Scudra Mustafi. Um, 19 on Lucas Perez as a deadline. You know. yeah, even like £18 million on Danny Welbeck. You know, I, I like Danny Welbeck a lot, but it was £18 million that didn't progress that position he didn't progress anything about the squad when he came in and that was a lot of money still to spend contextually progressed us past leicester city on valentine's Day. <laughs> exactly <laughs> um and of course uh, uh old trafford to get to the semi-final of the fa cup that we won of course um but for me january is still i think what i think we were talking about earlier 12 is it 12 league games away something like that 10 league games away from January, and I know that our relationship with the January transfer window isn't great, and I know that feels like we're kicking the can down the road again for another position, but I'd much rather get the right player in, in 10 games' time, than invest £25 million, and then we've got Louise, because apparently it was, a, and James will tell if I'm wrong, but Arsenal are offering, I think, a five-year deal for Louise, four or five-year deal around that kind of thing. Five-year deal, Kyle? Five, oh, cool, sweet. Football London for you. Um, <laughs> um, but in terms of like that, you then commit to that player on a five-year contract on however many thousand pounds per week on a 25 million pound investment. And that might then stop us for, say, going for a different kind of player. 
And if Arsenal qualify for the Champions League, which with this squad, even without strengthening like we needed to on deadline day, I think is very capable of getting top four this season. There is no reason why Arsenal shouldn't be in the conversations for some of the best players in the world if we qualify for the Champions League. And I don't mind throwing names like Jude Bellingham out there because even though it's crazy, that's what Arsenal need to aim for if we're going to get back to competing with Man City and Liverpool at the top of the league. I have it on personal authority that, that, that Vinay and Tim Lewis know who Jude Bellingham is because, right. because, <laughs> because my friend Aston Mack from Orlando uh, yes, brought it up is. to them personally. <laughs> so... Uh, so, He's yeah. trying to push that one that one through in uh, maybe not January, but yeah. so in other words, yeah. we've signed Jude Bellingham. <laughs> we did not want to sell Pepe for twenty-five million pounds. Just putting that out there, that was something that was taken from me. But you're not taking this Jude Bellingham thing now. It's not happening. It's not happening. Sophie, uh, your reaction to, uh, to to the transfer deadline closing was uh, was was pretty steady. Uh, steady the ship. Uh, Are you shocked? Uh, I, I didn't want to come out and say that I was shocked because that paints you as generally having a different type of opinion. But uh, but I, I was happy to see that. And, and you've been at the last two games. Um, I'm going to ask you about a player that I haven't asked anyone else about because he's suddenly become quite, quite relevant. And that is uh, Sambi Lakanga. Um, they've clearly put some stock in him. And, you know, is he... From what you've seen, is he ready or is he worrisome in that position? So one of the reasons I tweeted what I did today was because I can't imagine the pressure that Sambi was under to come into that position to deputize for Thomas Partey. And also, when we look back at last season and how he was kind of hung out to dry by Mikel in that Brighton game where he put Xhaka at left back and left him in no man's land in midfield. That's a game that James lied to his employer to go to. <laughs> um, <laughs> how did that work out? <laughs> you know, it, it, it felt like he was, there was a stigma attached to Sambi because of some of those performances, which I think the manager needs to be a little bit more accountable for. I don't believe that you're a young 21-year-old, maybe I've got his age wrong, and you're captain of Anderlecht under Vincent Company unless you are a talented player and you have those leadership skills. I was blown away by his first-half performance at, at the Emirates against Aston Villa. He was composed. He passed the ball swiftly. His movement was great. He didn't try to overplay or overly, you know, mayonnaise his style. Uh, and when he did... Pass. Mayonnaise is... Sorry. Yeah. What does too that much, mean? Too much mayonnaise. I, I, I gave the bell a look and I'm like, I'm like, even... <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, not, too, I'm gonna have a, get a different prop for that kind of a comment. Too much mayonnaise ruins a sandwich, does it not? <laughs> uh, not I that mean, I've ever heard. And I loved his composure. And when he did pass like a couple of those sweeping balls, they were accurate. And I thought that he was absolutely superb. And Xhaka stood next to him and, was, uh, and allowed him to do those things. And a lot of the times we've seen Xhaka kind of fall apart when, ja when Thomas isn't next to him. So and when Zinchenko I've, I've also him. felt like, as you know, a lot of my listeners know that after we finished eighth and eighth and lost to Emery in the semifinal of the Europa League, I was like, you can't lose to the man you replace. And then when we started the following season losing three, not scoring any goals, and we were 0-0-0, I was like, come on, we need to start asking questions. Kevin always said, so if it's the players, you know, and a lot of that is, has made me look at things a little bit differently because 
I think it's also okay to say that perhaps, you know, as, as podcasters, we give our opinion and we give our opinion immediately after games. We say what we see with regards to matches, but what he's done is built a squad and a squad that believes in each other, stands by each other. And actually, I think, is a bit disrespectful with some of the fans that have kind of gone postal today and yesterday to Fabio Vieira, Marquinhos, Sambi. Um, look, are they, we don't know how they're going to perform in the Premier League, but we also haven't seen them perform in the Premier League. We've got tough games coming up and it's going to be really, really difficult. So I'm trying not to be a hothead like I was last season and be a little bit more measured in terms of what we're doing, what we're building and where we're going. Um, because there's an anchor, Jesus, Martinelli, um, you know, these Zinchenko, these plays that we've brought in, the mentality, maybe that's going to change how they think dealing with these injuries, Mike, and dealing with the challenges that we have. I think we were a little bit broken still last season, but I think this season with these players that have come in, maybe that's a little bit different and maybe that changes the dressing room attitude as much as it helps Mikel kind of do his job as well. Great. Thank you. Um, and, and is there a greater end to an arc uh, just to kind of finally get some people off the fence than, than Obama Yang going to Chelsea? I uh, am so not bothered about him going to Chelsea. I give zero Fs. I'm not. I, I, I give. Yeah. I couldn't care less either. But I, I just I think for anyone that's still, you know, because people will use. I don't know if you've ever seen Arsenal people online use situations as sticks to hit their, their, their people over there. It's not that they love ABBA. It's that they want to use ABBA to, to, to hit our As a stick Arteta. to beat someone else. Exactly. And Tom, Tom and I had a really intense conversation about that. And I thought Tom was one of the first people that said the Saliba thing was a stick to beat. Oh, you know, absolutely. And, and here's the thing, right? Everton. Does everyone has everyone forgotten Aubameyang's performance at Goodison Park last season? And then what happened in December? We went on to score 21 goals, and even though Lacazette petered out towards you know March, February March, he was he stepped into that leadership role. Everyone stepped up, and I think people have forgotten that he stopped playing for the club. And at the end of the day, he never wanted to be there. It wasn't going to work out, and I just think we need to move on. Yeah, no, I agree, and we have, and I think him going to Chelsea. Makes it a lot easier to move on as well. Um, speaking of ABBA, uh, my, my main compromise for all this football stuff on our vacation was that last night, Steph and I went to see ABBA. Uh, if you haven't seen the ABBA experience, it is quite an experience. And I just found it ironic. I was thinking to myself in the middle, of, I, I felt very self-conscious because there's people just going crazy and dancing and, and Steph's having a good time. And I'm just kind of like, and, and I'm like, why am I self like? 24 hours earlier, when Martinelli scores, <laughs> I was ripping my shirt off. I, if any of you know Red Ken from Twitter, he's a large man. I picked him up off of the ground. I hugged and exchanged bodily fluids with eight people I've never seen before in my life. So, I mean, but, but me, like, moving a little around at ABBA was just too much. I couldn't do that. Um, anyway, just ABBA rem reminded me of that, and so I wrote it into my script. Um, we want to have time for you guys to have your say. So uh, I hope there are at least a handful of you that, uh, that have something that you'd like to ask any or all of the members of, uh, uh, of the panel. And uh, we're going to try to 
wrap this up in about the next 10 or 15 minutes at most. So um, I saw Hoggy with his hand up. <laughs> Russell Hogg. And, and because you're not on mic, we're going to repeat your, uh, your question so that uh, the listening audience can hear. All right, so the question from Russell was, uh, you know, Douglas Louise, obviously last minute deal didn't go through. Uh, had we started on that sooner or a deal like that sooner, uh, would it have given the, the Villa a chance to replace uh, and, and reinforce? Um, James, would they have sold them to us? Would, you, would they have sold them to us at any price, even if it was a week or two ago? I mean, to an extent, we'll have to speculate because we don't we don't know the answer. But I, I think yes, if you if you open those lines of communication a little uh, well a lot earlier, you will get somewhere because. From what I've heard, there's not a huge amount of optimism. They will talk to him about a new contract, but there's not a huge amount of optimism that that will that will be forthcoming imminently. So, so yes, it, it certainly would have helped. I mean, just what Arsenal are saying is the priority changed quite quickly in light of those two injuries. You are right that Arsenal kind of needed to to think in light of the injury history of Partey. You know, what's the best predictor for future injuries? Sadly, it's past injuries. So maybe kind of looking back on it, Arsenal could have worked around the assumption he might be unavailable more and asked themselves some questions about El Nenny. But um, yeah, basically, uh, it, it would have been a lot easier to do the deal. Although Villa did get Dendonka, who could... And that, that was another reason Arsenal were kind of like, what's going on here? Yeah, you have like replaced were, him. It looked like they were almost yeah. you know, preparing for that. Um, so the follow-up that, that Russell has, which he doesn't even need to say, is why was this Stan Kroenke's fault? <laughs> and why should they sell the club as soon as possible? <laughs> uh, you don't have to answer don't that. Really answer that. Um, <laughs> any other uh, questions? What's your name? From when? When? Okay, sorry. I don't joke about people's names, Tim. <laughs> sorry, when? What's your question? I wouldn't have said anything about athleticism in, in my context. When I, when, I, um, when I saw Arsenal last week, I thought, you know, I, I thought it was like something like Gangs of New York, you know, as, a, as an example. That there's a muscularity and a resilience about this team that I haven't kind of seen since Campbell, Vieira, you know, just Tolle used to just athletically just people up. There's just something, I, I don't know, I just wanted to check it on them or the sort of seeing. So, so the question, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the question from Wynn is, is there, uh, is there kind of a, an athleticism, a muscularity, uh, a, a more of a kind of a, 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 okay, so, so yeah, I mean, it, it, do you think, Harry, that that's part of the recruitment policy that the club has adopted? We know that they're looking for young players. We know that they're looking for players who might have the you know the ability to play multiple positions, but is what Wynn's asking also a part of that? I mean, are they looking for a particular body slash attitude type? 
uh, on the pitch as well, because I think a lot of us are noticing what you're noticing. I think more than them looking for a specific body type, they're looking for a specific character. Mikel Arteta talks a lot about the character of the players that he recruits, that desire to win, that want to win. And some of the players, you know, Gabriel Jesus, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but the way he goes into challenges with centre-halves, you'd never think it. You know, Gabriel Martinelli, not exactly a huge guy, but I think it's about that desire to win. And I think one of the issues we've got, it's a little bit of an issue at the moment, is that we start games like a house on fire. And I almost feel like if we don't score in the first 20 minutes, it's kind of like, okay, back off a bit. Let's regroup and let's go again because it's almost impossible to maintain that intensity level that he demands for 90 minutes. Um, but when it works, it's brilliant. And I think Mikel Arteta has been really clever in talking about the crowd all the time. If, if you watch his press conferences, every interview, he mentions the energy from the fans, that what they're transmitting. He knows that by mentioning that every single week, that's going to be at the forefront of our minds. And when we go to games, we're, we're conscious of it. And so we do more. You know, how many times over the years have we been to the Emirates and it's been really sleepy and, you know, particularly certain kickoff times, you go there and you think, like, this is like a library. People take the mick out of us, but it has been like that. So I think... <laughs> that one, that, that one's a gimme. So I, I think he... I, I don't... Going back to the question, I've gone around the houses a bit, but going back to the question, I don't think... I think there's a much more detailed recruitment process in that I think he's got more tick boxes than most managers which is good. We need that. But I think more than the physicality, it's about the character. And I think the system that we play where we push up the pitch, we're backing each other up in the press. There's smaller distances between certain players. And that means you can press, you can be more aggressive. Ultimately, I'm one of those tactics bods. So if you make the pitch smaller, you can be more aggressive without getting caught out of position. And I think it comes back to character and the tactical approach, which gives us that ability to play with the intensity that you're seeing now. Faisal, you had something to Yes, add? I just wanted to add win. I mean, like, we also forget that this was the youngest squad in, in the league last season. And, you know, when you're 26, 27, you kind of, you know, you stop growing. But these boys are growing. Eddie Nketiah's physical development over the summer is something I never saw that was going to come. Bukayo Saka, physically so much more imposing. William Saliba, Lukonga will, you know, he will physically, these guys are growing, they're, they're in the gym, they're doing their weights. And the other thing, it's about confidence. So, the, you know, they were inexperienced this time a year ago. Now they're developing an aura about their game. They're more confident. They feel more familiar at the Emirates and the crowd. I mean, it's been amazing this season. That The, the lift that must give you as a player and the confidence that must give you in the player to really like let the opposition know you're there. So the physical dynamism of the team is really improving, but it's just, it's a factor of so many things, but the boys are like, they're growing into men. It sounds really silly, but they are. Yeah, more boys to men, the thing <laughs> I don't want to get a copyright strike, but uh, <laughs> so I won't sing any of their music. Go on, Mike. Um, no. <laughs> Love to have one or two more uh, before we go. Okay, um, I'm going to go over to that side. Albert, you got a question? The question from Albert was realistically, how going into this transfer window, how many players did you think that we would bring on uh, over the transfer window and in what positions? Now that we've seen the window close, we can kind of match that expectation against what really happened. But Tom, um, your thoughts on uh, on 
kind of what you and, and you're probably on record as at the beginning of the summer as to what you expect. <laughs> yeah, probably, and I've forgotten. Um, <laughs> no, uh, and I think it was also Albert. How many we thought, how, what we wanted as well to see, as well as how many we thought realistically. Yeah. Yeah, realistically, I thought Arsenal would bring in, I think I said, our listeners will tell me if I'm wrong, but I think I said six. I think I, I think I said, I think we'd bring in six players. We've brought in five. So, you know. So it includes Saliba or not Saliba? No, it includes Marquinhos and Turner on right. top of Vieira and, right. you know. But uh, Saliba, I, yeah, Saliba being coming back is amazing. You know, it's like a new signing, you know, that famous saying we use. But it genuinely. Probably is. the best usage of that ever is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that I expected six. I think that was realistic. However, that is for a team that are still kind of continuing this rebuild process, you know, going through, I've used the word process now as well, um, going through the kind of this, this era of making sure we've got a balance throughout the squad and then adding quality. And I think that we'll all agree, like if you look at Manchester City and if you look at Liverpool, which is where we want to be, they're adding one, two, three a season. And I mean, if you look at City, they've added Haaland, who's like, I think it was described as a cheat code of a player. <laughs> he is. Uh, and Calvin Phillips, who is someone who com obviously competes with Rodri in that deep midfield position. But they've let three or four go as well. And that's From the thing. their starting 11. They've brought in Haaland, Phillips and Sergio Gomez, and they've made a profit in this window. And that's the thing about Arsenal is that the second half of recruitment, of course, the flip side of the coin, is sales. And right now, sales is just not where we need it to be. For me, I place the blame for that reason on the previous kind of recruiters bringing in the wrong players for the wrong amount of money on uh, at different times. And now the current regime are having to try and move those players on. I, I, I'm slightly still critical. I feel as though they may have been able to do more, but what can you do with a player that no one really wants? How do you sell someone that there isn't that much interest for? It's very difficult. But, you know, Albert, I think six players was realistic. I think six players is probably what the club would have liked to get but ultimately, I think the window also didn't provide the opportunities of a cost-effective benefit. I mean, Louise, if Vela aren't selling for 25 million, you know, is it really worth it? You look at some of the other players that have moved in this window, I think some people have overpaid for players. Neto, you remember at Wolves, you know, Wolves wanted something close to 50-odd million quid. He's not worth that. And Arsenal need to make sure that they don't make the mistakes of the past. And I think that's why we saw the players come in that we did and the players that didn't come in that didn't. We also don't have unlimited funds. Like, th this is the thing with Arsenal Football Club. We know the way that the club operates. And I've actually been surprised by the fact that without the sales that you're talking about, we've still invested the money that we have into new players. Like, we've got to be realistic about what we expect as well. There was always going to come a point this summer where we couldn't go anymore. And, and I think that sometimes we, we kind of overlook that point, and it's, yeah. it's massive. That's a good point. Uh, I had a question. What was your name? Uh, Sanchez. From... Sancho. Sancho? Okay. Sancho. Sancho. Okay, I'm sorry, Mike. Basically, this question pisses me off for years and years. Why don't we get fees for our players? I don't understand their high wages. And it pisses me off every fucking year. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that this helps our, you know, when we buy new players. So the question. Like Chelsea and, and um, City, they make money. Alright, so for those of you at home, the question the question why don't we put him on the on the bench? Forget giving free to Barca, buy him five million pounds, make a statement. Stop giving free players to these 
Exactly. All right. So the question was, why the fuck <laughs> can we not sell these goddamn players for some fucking money? So if you want to give a stab at that, and then I might, I might chip in as well, because I, I fancy a financial... Uh... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to do the heart thing, and, and Mike will do the financial thing, uh, because they're rubbish, and nobody wants to buy them. But also, the perfect example is, for me, the Aubameyang thing, as much as I give zeros, as I said, that he's gone to Chelsea, we terminated his contract, and how much money have Barcelona made from selling him 12 million plus okay. plus a person who i'm not gonna say what, what right um and i think the issue has been we had a broken team and broken players nobody wanted to buy kalasinac nobody no no but the same with socrates babastadopoulos the same Woo. thing i wasn't gonna bring him up because he's kind of irrelevant but but Harry, I wanted to get Harry that can say too. Say it, Harry. So gratis pavas a doblos. Harry, let's give him one more that we sold. Yosai Beniun. No, wait. Oh, I thought, I could, I thought I could do that as well. We also sold Dinos Mavrobanos for nothing, didn't we? Eh? Uh, yeah, no. Well, he's not the Malaga. The people are the Malakas who sold him for nothing. They're the Malakas. Look at Genduzi. I mean. He was, he was supposedly a £25 million player. We gave him away cheaply. But also, I think they were so desperate to turn around the squad that they were willing to take the losses, which is where Mike steps in on the financial side because he's done so many great shows about that. They were willing to do that, you know, and unfortunately, that's the situation that we were in. But we had a lot of players that played so badly. We were so broken that nobody wanted them. I think I think this is the end of that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I think this is. Look. Listen. Just remember that se selling. That is the ideal situation. Uh, that, that that is the ideal situation. Uh, player, and when you have a top team, where the impression of a player who may be a borderline starting eleven or not quite able to get into the starting eleven, like you think of, you know, Rion Brewsters and uh, and and Solanke's and and people, Jordan Ibe and those types of players that go for double digit, you know, they go for eight figures, having never really proven it. They, they go for that kind of money because the team is such that, you know, well, he's almost good enough to get in the team. He must be good enough for us at, at Crystal Palace or us at, at Burnley, and we're willing to pay good money. Oh. Arsenal's situation has been so broken over the last five years that what you're asking is quite reasonable. But with the players that we're talking about and the trend that has been set, we are better off getting out of their wages than continuing to pay their wages to do nothing for us and eventually lose them on a free anyway. The, the ability to sell these players has been, has been damaged by previous ownership, not previous ownership, previous management uh, by, by the, the previous regime. And look, there's been some bad decisions made by the current regime as well uh, on, on signing players and then not really being able to get rid of them. Pablo Marie, for example, 
Um, but I can also throw out a few names for you, Alex Iwobi, um, uh, Alex Lake like Chamberlain, uh, Joe Willick. Joe Willick. How long ago the, was that? Well, all right, Joe Willick. Um, look, I mean, it, it, it's not enough. You want to be able to sell for every player. Uh, but it, it's not always going to be possible. And I think we, we are at the end of biting a very, very bitter pill, not only financially, but from a reputational standpoint. And, and what we're left with are players who are assets. They're young players where if we want to strengthen in a position later, we will have players that we can sell at proper market prices. Not overpaying for players on deadline day is, is, is also important. To helping the you know Arsenal shed that reputation as a sucker, we will improve on selling players because we'll have better players to sell. Just, Can just I just dive, sorry, John, John. sorry, sorry, Tom. Um, the only other thing to say is you know specifically in relation to the the current regime, and Eddie has kind of articulated he would rather rip up someone's contract than let them play out the final year. You know the the market hears that, and the market therefore decides well. Why on earth would we bid on... Hector Bellerin is a great example of this. Arsenal did not receive an offer for... Yeah, well, but Arsenal have, Arsenal have made a statement, and their statement is... Eddie, you know, Eddie has said this on the record in, in the States. He said, I will rip up someone's contract if they're not in the squad and they're, you know, 26, 27, 28. It's, it becomes less in... The, the challenge is that contract termination, for instance, does require both parties to agree to it. So... If I'm uh, Socrates, Mustafi, maybe, you know, Bellerin, maybe Pablo Marie in the future, it's just not in my interest. And kind of, we can't really blame players for doing this. It's not in my interest to, to not earn the maximum I can out of Arsenal. So these things will inevitably run till the end of the window. Betis and, and Barcelona were sat there going, we all know what you're going to do with Bellerin. And obviously it was a free transfer rather than a contract termination, but functionally it made next to no difference. Um, Arsenal kind of are thinking that they're getting out of this because, like you know, Mike was referring to, it's a young squad. It's a squad with where most of the players have got value, and if you're one of the best teams in England, your fringe players are, are quite desirable. But they made a real rod for their own back, and and maybe it was the right thing to do anyway. But you know, those contract terminations made a rod for Arsenal's back that that it's taken a while to to click. Yeah, yeah. and and again, it's it's I think it's. It's either over or it's just about over and uh, we'll be left with assets that we can sell. I know that there's some more questions. We are going to end the live portion of the podcast that's that's streaming out now. Um, and, you know, for the most part, depending on trains and whatnot, I'm hoping that everyone will stick around, have, have some more drinks, uh, buy some more raffle tickets and, you know, ask your questions directly of, uh, of the folks that you wanted to ask them. So a few thank yous to hand out. Uh, thank you. First of all, to uh, the Ridley Road Social Club, our host for tonight, please. I'm not sure any of them are in the room right now. So, so when you go out there, please say thank you. Uh, please tip generously, um, even if that's not the custom here. But, uh, but, <laughs> um, and, and stick around for beers and, and revelry afterwards. Um, thank you to Gabriel Mellard, the beat monkey himself. Our little show to have the same production guy as uh, as the Union Chapel show with Ars Blog and and uh, and AVP uh, is pretty incredible and uh, and and he's not only really talented at what he does he's become a friend of mine as well 
uh, and he's really good at what he does. So, um, so thanks for uh, for doing that. Final hand for our amazing panel tonight, starting with Harry from Chronicles of the Gooner. FK from the Latte Firm. James Benz from CBS Soccer. Tom from the Gooner Talk TV and Football.London. Sophie Nicolau from the Highbury Squad. This has been a very special episode of the Gooners Podcast in cooperation with Gooners versus Cancer. Thank you all. Come on, you Gooners. And we finish off with a special video message about our next online fundraising raffle from some good friends of ours. Hey, Gooners. This is Alan Smith. Hey, Gooners. This is Kevin Campbell. Lee Dixon. It's Colin Lewin. It's Gary Lewin. Charles Watts. Dan Potts. James Benj. Stanley. Tom from the Gooners Talk here. Trying to request. Simon Collins. You may know me from the Evening Standard. You may know me from my time at Arsenal. You may know me from Arsenal or even the Hybrid Squad. My bird cat Wonderland. Being that physio set on the bench next to Arson with my rubber gloves on. The former Arsenal physio. The Emirates press box from writing, from Twitter. From goal.com, from Twitter, from YouTube. Football is the beautiful game and it brings us all together. Sometimes there are things even more important than wins and losses. And yes, even transfers. Every 30 seconds, someone in this world gets diagnosed with blood cancer. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society works towards curing blood cancers and provide support to families currently dealing with these diseases. Gunas vs Cancer was started in 2017 by a lifelong Guna who lost his father to leukaemia way too young. Over the last five years, Gunas v Cancer has raised over $50,000 for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And we need your help to match that in 2021. Every donation helps. Every donation helps. Every donation helps. Every donation helps. No matter the size. And every donation enters you into the Guna raffle. We have a great chance to win amazing Arsenal prizes, including game tickets, stadium tours, signed men and women shirts. And maybe a retro signed shirt by yours truly, Lee Dixon. Me, yours truly. Yours truly. Super kick out. So much more. It's easy to take part. Just go to www.gunasvcancer.com. Just go to Gunas thecancer.com and donate directly to the charity. Pick the raffle prizes you want to enter to win and wait for the drawings at the end of the campaign. Again, that's www.gunasversuscancer.com. Again, that's www.gunasvcancer.com. We all know that victory grows out of harmony. 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 With your help, will be victorious against blood cancer once and for all. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your support. Thank you so much for your support. Well, thank you so much for your support. Thank you for your support. Thanks for your support. Thanks for your support. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for your support.